Let's jump into our second sermon of this series. I want you to read this, the yellow parts of this verse with me. I'll read the other part. You read the yellow parts out loud. Here we go. This is our theme verse for this series. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him... Which means... God is with us. What does that mean? Well, last week we discovered that God is with us in the valleys. Remember we learned about the valley of Baca, which means the valley of tears, the valley of loss, the valley of weeping. We said that sometimes in order to get where God wants you to go, you have to go through a valley and God is with us through those valley, valleys and he takes us to where he wants us to go through the valley of tears. Today we're going to learn that God's with us, his presence is with us in the storms of life. Now, because it's only nine days until Christmas, I wanted to bring you some Christmas card cheer today. You ready for this? You are either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or you're about to enter a storm. Merry stinking Christmas to you. That's my, that's my card to you, my Christmas card to you. Life can be difficult, and that's not very encouraging, is it? But it's real, right? Life can be difficult. Where is God when you're in a storm? Now, I want you to think about some of the big storms that have hit our area uh, just in the last few years, and, and most of you will remember these. Hurricane Katrina hit a few years ago. It was devastating. Hurricane Irma. Do you remember Hurricane Ike? Ike, the eye of Ike actually came right over Palestine. I remember because I was on the top of my roof in the middle of that hurricane, the flashing on my, on my fireplace had, had been bent back by the winds, and water was coming in. We're just walking through, and water's dripping down. We're going, oh, dear God. So I get up on the roof in the middle of the hurricane. I remember Ike and had to put tar in there. It was It was awesome. And just last year, Hurricane Harvey came through and did all kinds. Remember, almost 52 inches of rain fell in the Houston area. Now, think about this. We, we name these storms after people's names, right? What if we did that with ordinary, ordinary everyday problems? Like tomorrow, you don't feel well, and you call your boss. Boss, I'm sorry, I can't make a day. Why can't you make a day? Well, because of hangover Howie. He's a category four. Now, if it's just a one, I'd be in, but he's a four. He just nailed me. Or, <laughs> boss, I can't come in because diarrhea Diana snuck up on me the other day, and, and I'm just telling you, whoo, she's bad. You do not want diarrhea Diana anywhere near the office, right? That's, that would be kind of silly. But we name storms after people's names. Used to, used to back in the early 50s, actually before the 50s, they, they named them geographic places or, or longitude and latitude, and people kept getting confused about why they, where these storms were. And so some bright meteorologist around 1954 decided to start naming the storms after after their wives and girlfriends. How stupid is that? I come home one day, I'm a meteorologist in 1954, and I say, Janie, there's this Category 5 hurricane brewing out in the ocean. It's going to kill people. It's going to destroy things. Reminded me of you. I named it Hurricane Janie. How does that make you feel? Do you feel love, Janie? You, you know who else is not going to feel loved if I name a storm after Janie? All right, okay. That's just not very smart. Years ago, when Janie was pregnant with Caleb, so this was in 1994, she was pregnant with Caleb. She and I and my parents went to um, Seattle, Washington. We went up to Vancouver, and we went down to Mount St. Helens. Now, I was, I was uh, a sophomore in high school when Mount St. Helens blew up, and, and it erupted, and the, the ash actually came to the panhandle of Texas. I remember this, the, the skies were cloudy because of this ash, and Mom and I wanted to go see it. So, so in, in 1994, 22 or 24 years, after this thing had blown up, we went to Mount St. Helens. Now, here's the, here's the picture that I remember of Mount St. Helens. 
You remember, it was, if you've ever seen the before and after pictures, it was a beautiful place. We, we saw this movie at the IMAX. We saw the before and after. Because it took so long to erupt, we actually saw um, the, the, the volcano, the side of it slide down. It was, it was tremendous devastation. And this is the picture I always remember because it, it's just like matchsticks, like some kid just knocked something over. That's the power of this earthquake when it, when it erupted. And then when we were there, this isn't a great picture, but this is kind of what it looked like. It, it, it's kind of blurry, but you see there's some new life, but there's still a a ton of devastation there. So we go to the movie and then we drive to this little overlook and uh, I hop out with one of those old video cameras and I'm just, I'm, I'm, um, I'm emceeing, I'm kind of talking through what we're seeing because I knew my sister who lived in the hometown with my mom and dad was going to watch this video. So without any thought, I just start taking video and I'm going and I'm scrolling across and it's just complete devastation. And I said, dude, this kind of looks like Mount St. Cheryl whenever she blows her top. And I forgot about it, just forgot about it. And Janie's going, oh, you're in trouble. So I didn't think anything of it. A couple weeks later, I get this phone call from my sister. How dare you? And I said, oh, yeah, remind me of you. And she said, what makes it even worse is I'm sitting there with my husband and my children. And when you say, reminds me of Aunt St. Cheryl, they bust out laughing. And she said, I said, I don't see what's so dang funny about that. Well, here's the point. You may be going through a storm right now that you're tempted to name. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to caution you about that in just a second. For 25 years, they only named storms after females, and then 1979 came, and there was equal rights for men, and we've got men's names for storms. That's just a little bit of history there. But some of you might be tempted to name your, your divorce storm. Some of you might be tempted to name your financial storm, your depression, your anxiety, your relational storm. It might be that bad. So what I want to talk about today is what do you do when you're in the middle of a storm? What a lot of people do is they blame God. How dare you, God? Or they question, where is God? Or they question God's character. If you're a good God, how dare you allow me to go through a storm? Now, here's the main point that I want you to get today. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. We're going to open up the Bibles to um, Acts chapter 27, and there's some men in the middle of a horrific storm. If you read all of Acts 27, we don't have time for all of that. It's a long chapter, but they're actually in this hurricane for over 14 days, and they thought they were going to die. The crew was so terrified, they start throwing things over, trying to lighten the load. They're hoping that they can run up on shore somewhere and, and be saved, save the, the ship and everything. And if the experienced soldiers on this ship or sailors on the ship, not soldiers. If the experienced sailors think they're going to die in this storm, what do you think the regular people think who are on this ship? We're going to die in this storm. So Paul is writing this story, the Apostle Paul, and it's about him. And uh, in verse 20 of Acts 27, he says this, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave all, up all hope of being saved. Now, how many of you would would use that phrase for something you're going on right you're going through right now a storm you're in it just keeps going it won't stop and i want to know and you don't have to raise your hands but how many of you have given up hope because your storm keeps raging or you know somebody who's given up hope because their storm just won't stop whether it's your marriage, there's just no way our marriage is going to make it. There's no way I'm going to get out of this, this financial debt that, I, that I'm in. There's no way we're going to beat cancer. There's no way I'm going to find someone to marry. I'm going to be alone my entire life. We're never going to have children. All hope is gone, but this storm, it just keeps on raging. 
Verse 21. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. Anybody think Paul's going to get popped in the mouth because he's like, I told you so, but anyway. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. <laughs> What's Paul talking about? Let me, let me give you a little background. Paul was in Jerusalem preaching Jesus during the time of uh, uh, the Passover, and so there's a massive crowd there, and there's going to be a, uh, a riot because of what he's preaching. The Jews, the re religious people didn't like it, so there's this riot happening. So the Romans come, and they arrest Paul. Now, they didn't know it at that time, but Paul was both a Jewish citizen and a Roman citizen. So they have this trial. They actually beat Paul, and then they have this trial. And in the middle of the trial, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, at any time during your trial, you could say, I want to stand before Caesar and let him hear my trial. They had to immediately stop the trial. They had to arrange transport for you to get to Rome. So that's what they did. They get a centurion, and he gets some of his soldiers, and they arrange a ship. And if you read the first few verses, first eight verses of Acts 27, you'll see that everywhere they went, it said, we traveled with much difficulty. We got to this place, and we, it was very difficult travel. And this storm came up. It was very difficult travel. So when they finally get to um, uh, this one particular place, that's what Paul's talking about, and that's in verse 9. He says this. Paul says, much time had been lost because it was, sailing was so difficult, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is sometime in the first um, week of, of October. It changes from year to year. This past year, uh, in 2018, it was October 8th. So they're, they're trying to travel on this ship in winter time, and it's the worst time to try to travel uh, across the sea. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the century the guy in charge of, of Paul as the prisoner, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsustainable to winter in, the majority, I just side note, a, a double dog dare you to find when the majority in Scripture was right. Just a fun little thing I want you to try to discover. The majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Now, let me just say this. The, the, the Bible is very, very detailed. They give us all kinds of particulars. And and, and if you were writing a story that you were making up, you wouldn't give so many details because it would be real easy to disprove it. Well, we've, we've proven through archaeological evidence that all of the details of this story were true, including that harbor faced both southwest and northwest. Side note. Now, Paul says, if you'd listen to my advice, we wouldn't be in the middle of this storm. So let's just ask the question, why were these people on this ship in the middle of the storm? Well, the first answer is they were in the storm because they chose to be in the storm. And some of you are thinking, I didn't choose to be in the storm. Well, don't, don't say that so fast. Let me, let me ask you some questions. They made a decision to go into an environment that they knew was risky. They had been warned. And have you ever noticed that in Christian circles, sometimes we want to blame the devil for things we do? The devil did it. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's your own dumb fault. And don't elbow the person next to you. Listen to the man. It's your fault. Don't, don't do that. Sometimes in the middle of the storm, you're there because you spent too much money. Happens every year at Christmas. People, I've heard people say, this year, Christmas snuck up on me. Well, how dumb are you? It happens, how, how long you been alive? It happens every year. On the same day, in the same month. Start now. Oh, anyway, spent too much. So sometimes you're in the middle of a financial storm because you spent too much money. Sometimes you're in the middle of a storm because your emotions got the best of you and you said or did something you shouldn't have done. Sometimes you're in the middle of a storm because you procrastinated. It is not the devil's fault that you didn't pass your final exam. It's you 
procrastinating, eating Domino's pizza, binge-watching Netflix until you don't have any time to study. It is not the devil. Sometimes you're in the storm because people warned you not to date him. Your mama, yeah, Shay says, right. Your mama says, don't date him. Thank you. That was great timing, Shay. Your mama says, don't date him. Your daddy says, don't date him. Your best friend says, don't date him. Your pastor says, don't date him. Your fortune cookie says, don't date him. And you're like, but he's so cute. And he's got so much potential. Potential to ruin your life. The devil did not make you do that. See, I, I think these sailors, maybe that's why the sailors were giving up because it was their own choices that got them into the storm. And I don't know about you, but there's, there's, times, there's times that I believe that God's going to get me out of a storm that he led me into. And then there's times I think there's storms I get myself into and I wonder, do I even deserve to be rescued from this storm because of my dumb decisions? Anyone? Anyone? Agree with that. <clears throat> now, you need to know that if you read the whole story, there's 276 people on this ship. So it's not some little John boat going down the Natchez, right? There's 276 people on this boat. And, and I want to say, don't you, don't you think some of the people on the boat, it wasn't their fault that they're in the storm? Because, because they're in the storm because others chose to include them in the storm. Wasn't that nice of them? Uh, I don't know if you know the name Lisa Turkhurst. Um, she is president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And um, if Janie and I have heard her speak three or four times at conferences. She's an incredible speaker. She's got Bible studies. She's got books. If you've ever been on staff anywhere, if you ever are in ministry, you're, and especially ladies' ministry, you're going to come across the name Lisa Turkhurst. Well, in June of 2017, she writes these words. My husband, life partner, and father of my children, Art Turkhurst, has been repeatedly unfaithful to me with a woman he met online, bringing an end to our marriage of almost 25 years. For the past couple of years, his life has sadly been defined by his affection for this other woman and substance abuse. I don't share this to harm uh, or embarrass him, but to help explain why I've decided to separate from him and pursue a divorce. After facing what she called the hardest battle of her life to save her marriage over the last couple of years, Lisa shared that God revealed she'd done all she could and it was time to release her husband to his Savior. Though tempted to take the, the startling blow as a personal failure, um, she decided to practice what she preaches and surrender and trust God. And here's what she said. I pondered giving up, but after much fasting, prayer, and wise counsel, she instead resolved not to let the darkness win. And then she says, I'd simply ask you to pray Pray for my precious children, my grandchildren. Pray for me. Pray for our team at Proverbs 31 Ministries. And yes, please pray for my husband, Art. He chose to involve her and her family in a storm. It wasn't her fault. Um, now, don't you think it's at least some of those 200 and we're going to, we'll take Paul, we'll take um, the captain, we'll take the centurion off. So 273 people, don't you think at least some of them, it wasn't their fault they were in the storm? Don't you think it's, at least some of them said, hey, let's listen to the funny looking guy. We know Paul was, had something that people made fun of. We don't know exactly what it was, but the funny looking guy says, we've already had a difficult time getting here. Maybe we should listen to him. But the captain and the centurion said, go. So all these other people are in the storm because of the choices of others. And you've probably been there. Don't point at the person whose fault it is that you're in a storm. Your parents divorced when you were younger. Now you're in the middle of a storm. Was that your fault? Uh, your, your company made some really poor financial decisions. And now they're downsizing and you're laid off. And you're in a storm. Is that your fault? 
Um, you trusted somebody who gave you their word, and they did not keep their word. You believed them. Now you're in a storm. Was that your fault? Here's the bottom line. Whether it's your fault or not that you're in a storm, when you're in the midst of a storm, it's very, very easy to lose all hope. And that's when Paul has this to say. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. This is kind of comical to me. So, so Paul says, keep courage. Somebody needs to hear this today. The, keep your faith. This storm is not going to take you down. Now the ship is going to go down in this story and whatever you've put your faith in may go down. But you are not going to go down. Look what he says. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Now, now if, if you say an angel stood beside you and an angel didn't stand beside you, that's kind of cocky. Actually, that's real cocky and you're in trouble. But if an angel actually stood beside you and you're reporting the truth, that's okay. I just want you to be very, very careful saying, I have had a word from God. Because all the time people say, God told me to do this. And I'm going, that's interesting because God's word says, don't do this. And you're doing this. So you're contradicting God's word. I just read this week in Nehemiah. I'm studying Nehemiah. And some guys came up and said, God told us to tell you this. And, and, and the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed and he thought about it. And he goes, God didn't tell. Because what they were telling him to do contradicted scripture. God will never tell you to contradict scripture. Paul was in the middle of the boat and an angel stands beside him. And here's what you need to know. You may not know this, but there are angels in this room right now. If the Bible is true, you say it is. If the Bible is true, come on. If the Bible is true, thank you. Then what, by the way, uh, Rachel said there's a sociology experiment that's been done about people will check out churches online now before they come, and if they don't hear or see the crowd, they're not going to come because they think there's not enough crowd that they can hide in. So when you say those things with an exclamation point, you're inviting people to church. You didn't know that. Thanks, Rachel. That's, that's what my money has earned from Stephen F. Austin State University. <laughs> There's a physical world that we can see. There's a spiritual world that we cannot see. And the Bible says that the, the spiritual world, there are, there are forces of good and evil battling. And the whole purpose of this battle is to spill over into the physical world and ruin your life and ruin my life. That's what's going on in the spiritual. So in the midst of the storm right now, I want you to know that God is with you, and he's with you probably in the form of an angel. Every week, somebody prays, God, would you surround this campus with angelic warriors and destroy the works of Satan, keep people from being distracted, keep people from, um, uh, from bringing up all these different excuses. God, do war, do battle for your name's sake. Every week we pray that. We know that God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within you and can even give you the mind of Christ. We know that God invented time. He's not bound by time. That means he invented it. He's already in tomorrow. How cool to have God is with me, the one who knows the outcome of my storm. Tomorrow, he's here. I don't know the outcome, but he's here. He knows the outcome, and he is with me. God hears your prayers. He comforts your hurts. He directs you when you're lost. You have no idea all the different ways that God is with you in the midst of your storm. The presence of a storm does not negate the presence of God. Let me give you a couple of bonus verses. Now, this first one is in 2 Timothy, and here's the cool thing about this verse. Paul has already reached Rome, and he's in prison. That means he survived this storm that we just read about. Here's what he says to Timothy, a young pastor at a church he had helped start. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Now, I want you to read this next phrase. But what? The Lord stood with me. Where was the Lord? 
with him, with me, and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles. The Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew. So the whole purpose God brought him there was so that people could hear about Jesus Christ, brought him through the storm so that people could hear about Jesus. The Lord has not left you. Look what he says. So that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. God is with you. He's at your side. He gives you strength. Here's one from King David in the Old Testament in Psalm 16, 8. The Lord is always where? Come on. The Lord is always where? I will not be shaken, for he is where? Right. right beside me. I played five times this morning. I played the song, Chris Tomlin's song, The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. I just put it on repeat over and over and over. When I got to church today, I wanted to be reminded, the God of Angel Armies is always by my side. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. If you understand that, it changes your attitude in the middle of a storm. Hello, anyone? Okay, thank you. <laughs> I know that's right, baby. Now, I'm just going to summarize real quick for you. Another storm, a different boat. This boat is much smaller. It's probably 12 to 14 passengers in Mark chapter 4. We're not going to turn there. But what's funny about this story and this storm and this boat is in the midst of the storm, Jesus is in the boat and Jesus is asleep because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Now, if Jesus says we're going to the other side, where do you think you're going? So he didn't worry about it. He goes to sleep. The disciples, fishermen, who knew this lake like the back of their hands, and if the fishermen think you're going to die, what are you thinking if you're a regular person? We're going to die. So they do what we do in the middle of a storm. Oh, no, we're going to die. God, you don't even care about us. Jesus, I don't like where this storm is taking us. Jesus, pay attention. Come on. Jesus, wake up. And you know what Jesus does? He stands up and he says, you people of little faith, why were you afraid? And then he looks at the storm, and in one translation he says, peace be still. And immediately the water is calm. In another translation it says, hush, be quiet to the storm. Now it's a, it's a miracle of God that the, whole, the Sea of Galilee, it's this big sea and it's, it's in an area where wind comes and, and a horrible storm can take you out. There's lots of boats that have sunk there. But in, the, in an instant when Jesus spoke, it became calm. Now, that's a miracle of God, but there's a bigger miracle of God that happened. Not only was there calm peace outside the boat, there was calm a peace in the boat, in his disciples. That's miraculous. Why did they experience peace in the boat? Because Jesus was on the boat. Real peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. You're not going to have a trouble-free life. If any preacher ever tells you you're going to have a trouble-free life, they are lying to you. They're misquoting things. They're misinterpreting things. Because let me show you what the founder of our religion says about your life in John 16, 33. I have told you all this, that you may have peace in me. He wants us to have peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials. How many trials? Many. Oh, Jesus says you're going to have trials and sorrows. How many sorrows? Many sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. He's saying real peace isn't found in the absence of trouble, the absence of trials, the absence of storms. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. The God of angel armies is right there with me. Now back to Acts 27, verses 23 and 24. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. 
And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. This is really cool to me. Paul was probably the only believer on this ship. And God said, because of your faith, because you're right where I want you to be, I'm going to give you the lives of the other 275 who are in this storm. That's remarkable. And I came across this, this quote this week, and it just jumped off the page, and I thought, I've got to share this with you. Oswald Chambers said this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And I'm sitting in my chair, and it just jumped all over me. The angel was saying to Paul, you're not going to go down in this battle because I've got more battles for you to fight. Someone needs to hear this. If you're not dead, you're not done in the kingdom of God. He is not finished with you yet. God has more people for you to love. He's got more opportunities for you to serve. He's got more times that he's calling you to be a blessing to others. You're not going to go down. The ship may go down. What you have faith in may go down, but your God is not going to let you be destroyed. He will not leave you or forsake you. In fact, Scripture tells us that God will use your storm to prepare you to help other people through their storms. There is a purpose in your storm, and one of those purposes is to prepare you to help other people through their storms. And you need to know this storm didn't surprise God. How big is your God? My God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. Omnipresent means he's everywhere at once. That means he's not surprised by any storm that we're in. He's doing something in you. He's speaking to you. He's strengthening you. He's deepening your roots, and he'll use what you learn in the storm to help somebody else. One day you're going to be able to say, I survived, we survived an unfaithful marriage, and you can too. Or you're going to be able to say, we climbed out of it. I know one lady, I read her story, they were in $100,000 unsecured debt. Unsecured means it's, that's not a car, that's not a house. It's not something you can sell. This was credit card debt, a hundred grand. And over the course of a few years, they climbed out of debt. And she today, she's still encouraging people. I got out of $100,000 debt, you can too. Some of you are going to say, man, I was in bondage to drugs or pornography or alcohol, whatever it is that you're in bondage to. And you're going to say, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, Emmanuel, who was with me, helped me out of that storm. And the same Jesus can help you out of that storm. And then all of a sudden, you become an evangelist. You become a preacher about Jesus, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And that's the whole purpose of your life is for God to mold you and shape you and use you for his glory. Now, you don't, you don't always know this when you're in a storm, but, but let me just tell you from storms I've gone through. Sometimes when you get to the other side and, and you're looking back and you're safe on shore and you're going, holy cow, that was a bad one. That was a, that was a category five, and, and I wouldn't wish that pain on anybody. But I also wouldn't trade what I learned about Emmanuel going through that storm. Verse 25, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. Or it was just men on the ship, but I'm men and women. I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. See, my faith is not in what I can see in the physical world. My faith is in what God says is going to happen, regardless of what's going on in the physical world. I have faith that God said it, it'll happen. My faith is not in the boat. My faith is in the one who made the wind and the waves. My, my faith is not in the ship. My faith is in the one who created the wood that even made it possible for that ship to be built. 
My faith isn't in New Life Community Church. And, and because you realize this church could cease to exist, but God still exists. In fact, um, November 28th, I went back and looked at this yesterday, and then I went back and looked at it again this morning. November 28th, I was reading in the Old Testament, and I came to the, um, to the end of, uh, I think it was Ezra. Yeah, no, Second Chronicles and then Ezra. And, and, I, and I, was, I read, so the northern kingdom is, of Israel had already been destroyed. They, they, they were taken into captivity because of their sin. God said, if you keep doing this, you're going you're gonna to cease to exist. And then Judah, the southern kingdom, kept going for a while. But at the end of Second Chronicles, Judah ceases to exist. And I told Janie this after, after I read. She got up, and, and as soon as she walks out, I'm like, man, I'm messed up. And she goes, why? I said, because of this stupidity of Judah... They cease to exist as a country. And so I wrote down in my, in my journal, this December 30th, that's two weeks from today, one service, December 30th, how New Life Community Church ceases to exist. And I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff, and I, I put a question mark there because I thought, am I supposed to say this? You want me to tell this? And, and since that day, November 28th, almost every day God has been confirming that I'm supposed to preach this sermon on the 30th because any of us can be taken out by sin and by the spiritual battle that's going on. That's, that's what the enemy wants. So our church, if we're not careful, we can cease to exist. It's going to be a happy message. Um, <laughs> Verse 26, the end of, of what I'm going to share with you from that. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. God says, this battle's not going to take you out. Ship's going to be lost. He's not going to tell you where. This storm's going to lead us to some island. And by the way, Paul started this journey in August of September or September. He, he made it to Rome in March. But he made it. Now, let me show you some things you cannot control about storms. You can't control when a storm blows up. You can't control how severe the storm is. You can't control how long the storm lasts. You can't control what people say about you. You can't control what people do to you. But you can control what you believe in the middle of the storm. You can control where you put your faith. My faith is in the one who created the winds and the waves. My faith is in what God says, not what I see. What God says. Now let me finish with... Uh, Psalm 46, this is, this is a psalm by the sons of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. Last week I told you they wrote in, in, in the teens. No, I was wrong. They actually wrote 11 of the psalms in the book of Psalms. And I'll tell you more about the sons of Korah in just a minute. They were the worship leaders in the temple during the time of King David. Here's what they said. God is our shelter, always ready to help us in times of trouble. Why do we need a shelter? Because trouble's coming. Many troubles, many trials, many storms are coming. You need a shelter. And two... God wants you to learn who he is. He's not just with you. He's with you as a shelter because storms are coming. Now look at the next part. God is our shelter, always ready to help us in times of trouble. We will not be afraid even if the earth is shaken. Okay, let me just quickly tell you what happened. Generations before the sons of Korah were the worship leaders in the temple, there was a man named Korah, and he became friends with Dathan and Abiram. That's a better way to say that, isn't it? He became friends with... I kind of messed up in the first service. Uh, he became friends with Dathan and Abiram, and they opposed where Moses was leading them. They're like, Moses, we don't like how you're leading us. We don't believe God's with you. We're going to form our own church, and we're going to lead this direction. And so God tells Moses, I want you to get 
Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, I want you to put them right here. Moses, I want you to stand over here. And then I want you to tell all of the Israelites, get away from them because I'm about to judge them. So Moses says, get away from them. So they get away from them. And then Moses prayed. He said, God, if, if these men die a normal death, everybody will know that I am not your leader. I'm not the one. You did not call me to lead Israel. But God, if the earth opens up and swallows them whole and covers back over them, everybody will know that you've chosen me as the leader and these guys are out of your will. And guess what happens? The earth opens up. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram fall in. The earth closes up over them and all the Israelites start heading for the hills. Ah! Because I mean, if you're there, they're saying the earth's going to eat us too. Now, I tell you this because the sons of Korah are descended from the man who was eaten by by the earth. And I tell you that to say, God can redeem anything from your past. Do not say that what's happened in your past keeps you from becoming used by God. In fact, it is your past that God will redeem and use for the glory of God. Those guys said, God is our shelter, always ready to help us in times of trouble. We will not be afraid even if the earth is shaken and opens up and eats our ancestors and the mountains fall into the ocean depths, even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by violence. And then you know this verse. Later in, in, in Psalm 46, Psalm 46.10, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is, be still and know that I am God in the middle of a storm. No matter what your past says about you. Even if I lose my job, even if a relationship falls apart, even if the economy gets shaky, I will still not be afraid. Why? Because he's with me. He's all I need. And he's going to teach you a new name about him. He may teach you. Go ahead. What do you learn? God is with me as safety because you need safety in a storm. He's with me as strength. He's with me as comforter. He's with me as my source, as redeemer, as my righteousness, as my friend, a friend who sticks closer to the brother. Keep going, we got more. As my rock, as the bread of life, as the living water, as the way, the truth, and the life, as my guide, as my peace. Oh, God wants to show you that he's peace in the midst of a storm. See, don't ever think that that peace is found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Now, knowing that Emmanuel wants you to have peace, let's read this verse again, and you read the highlighted words. Look, the virgin will be with child, and they will call him what? Emmanuel. Which means what? God is with us. How is he with us? He's with us however you need him to be in the middle of whatever storm you're facing. God says this storm will not take you down. What you've put your faith in that's not God is probably going down. But you've got more battles to fight. You've got more people to love. If you're not dead, you're not done. Now, would you bow your heads for just a second? And I want to ask you, how many of you, nobody looking around but me, how many of you would say, I'm in a storm right now? Would you raise your hands? All right, it's quite a few of us. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you two more questions. How many of you are in a storm because of what you did? How many of you are in a storm because of what someone else did? Father, regardless of the reason we're in a storm, teach us what we need to learn about you so that we can help others through their storms. We pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen.